All right, let's uh, switch gears, if we can, for just one uh, quick moment. Uh, standing over here in the wings, he's going to come out in just a second and talk to us, is my 17-year-old son. And I need to tell you a brief story before we show you a video that he has had uh, put together about an event that he's doing. My son is really into music. And this past, it must have been sometime in the fall, I kept hearing him say things about putting on a concert. And then eventually it's, it kind of morphed into an outdoor music festival. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in my house, to be honest with you. So I'm not totally clued in and paying attention. But when our phone started, like, ringing off the hook and more phone calls were coming in for him than for the entire rest of my family, and when I got a phone call one day and – and the person said, can I please speak to Mr. Sly? And they didn't mean me. They meant my 17-year-old 17, my 17 son. I knew I was up against something. And so uh, we want to share something with you. So let's look at the video, and then he'll talk. This is what uh, I found myself in the middle of uh, here all of a sudden and happened before I knew it. So uh, he's 17 years old. P.O.D.? Who knows P.O.D.? Huh? Then, okay, 11 million albums sold. They play for crowds of 20,000 at a time. So I, you know, one day get a phone call and talking to these agents, and I said, do you realize that my son is 17 years old? Is this normal? Anyway, all right. Uh, here we go. He's going to talk to us. Thank you for this great privilege to share with you. I'm your typical 17-year-old who likes to sleep in late, eat pizza, and challenge my parents. Most of you know that I've been a fanatic over sports since the first grade. But this past summer, I attended a camp for my other passion, music. The camp ended up having a huge impact on my life, though. Not with music, but with my relationship with Christ. The scripture verse, Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good of God, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose was the theme. It got me thinking and praying really hard for months as to what was my purpose? What did God want for me to do? I love music. The Christian rock, alternative, metal, hip-hop scene is exploding into the mainstream world. The problem is the whole area is constantly overlooked without a Christian radio station that will play the style of music or have, bring, have concerts that will bring in those bands. For this reason, so many youth and young adults especially aren't reached in this new way that can relate to them so easily. After months of prayer over that verse, I felt that God gave me confirmation to minister through music, especially to the youth. The idea was officially born that after college, I would start a Christian rock station in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. I thought all was good, but for some reason I kept feeling a tug on my heart about something that I should do now. I thought it was crazy, but I kept running into the right people across the area, and for some reason I felt like God was actually speaking to me harder than ever and wasn't going to let me go until I followed the instructions. So I decided to give it a try and start a small little Christian rock festival. <laughs> now, the initial idea was to hold a small concert right here at TJ. We could bring in a couple local bands and a few moderately known and upcoming national bands. But doors began to shut while at the same time they began to open. And before I knew it, I was on the phone with the agent for the multi-platinum band POD. I shared my vision for Spring Jam, and a week or so later, P.O.D.'s lead singer, Sonny Sandoval, called all the way in from Israel, saying he wanted P.O.D. to join in the outreach for 60% off their normal price. <laughs> my mind was completely blown. So Spring Jam Fest will take place on Saturday, May 14th. The headliners will be P.O.D., Emery, and Brian Head Welsh, one of the greatest guitarists of all time, 
and co-founder of one of the biggest bands of all time, Korn. Brian t- will also be sharing his testimony, which was an instant New York Times bestseller. And his music and the story of how God took the wheel is one that will change so many lives and relate to so many of us. Spring Jam's mission is to ignite an interest in Jesus Christ through music and testimony. God has given us an awesome, diverse musical lineup and a powerful testimony to share that we hope will also draw in many who would never dream of stepping into church. We are hoping to reach the area in a whole new, cool way for Christ. We are excited to see what God has in store for us May 14th. If you would like to get involved, I have a table in the back. Um, we will have tickets and promotional material in the lobby, and I felt God wanting me to keep tickets as cheap as possible so we can outreach to everyone. So much to my financial advisor's dismay, they're only $15. Okay, so, you know, this is exciting for everybody, and it's terrifying for me. And I just want to tell you why it's so terrifying to me. He's 17, which means he can't do what? Sign a contract. He doesn't have any money anyway. So when I realized that he had put so many things together, uh, a website, he'd made these deals with these huge bands for greatly reduced prices and sold them on his vision and all of this, I had to applaud what he had done. But I still did not want to do this at, at all. So my thought was I was going to my um, – and we were at the time where we need to make a decision and move forward. I'm going to my pastor's prayer group, which is on Wednesdays. I'm sitting around a table with a bunch of older, older pastors from very traditional churches. This kind of thing does not happen in their churches. You, you understand what I'm saying? You know, organ music is progressive. So uh, we're there, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is, this is perfect. I said, guys, I really need your prayer. And I, you know, I was about as, you know, just like really down. And I said, uh, you know, my son and this hip-hop, heavy metal rock music and bringing in these bands, and he's a high school student. And the price tag on this thing, $55,000 minimum. I said, you know, my gosh, I, I just need prayer. And I was just waiting for them to say, and this is ridiculous. Are you crazy? Don't do that. That kind of music, that's of the devil. And, you know, you, he's a high school student. You can't, you can't do this. And you know what they did? They looked at me, and the guy said, this is awesome. I'm so inspired. He said, I am inspired. Listen, you talk. I said, how can you be inspired? I'm not trying to inspire. I'm trying to uninspire you. I want you to validate me saying no. So that was tough. Last Sunday, we, we came to a critical moment. We had to sign contracts this Friday, this Friday, just a few days ago. We had to move forward with this thing. Uh, I got a phone call 6.30 in the morning, Monday morning, 6.30 in the morning from another concert promoter. He says, I am so glad to talk to you. I've been talking to Jonathan. i got to tell you, he is so organized. It's unbelievable. I'm glad I'm talking to you because I know you're signing the contracts. He said, I want to warn you of the risks. I said, what risks are they? He said, bankruptcy. How about that? <laughs> I said, great. So we, we sat down. We had a conversation Monday morning before he went away to school, for, went to school for the day. And I said, look, here's the deal. By Friday, I don't sign any contracts unless you have $25,000 in the bank. He's talked to lots of sponsors. At this point, he had $2,000 in the bank, $2,000. So I'm trying to manage my son's expectations and not crush him at the same time. And I said, I'm just sorry, son, this is not going to happen, okay? You need to prepare yourself. By Wednesday night at 9 p.m., Jonathan crossed the $25,000 mark. Uh, 
you know, I, I tell my friends about this, and they're like, hey, what could go wrong? And I said, what could go wrong? Everything could go wrong. I mean, what could go wrong? I, I can't get him to clean his room, and he's going to run an event with POD and the guy from Corn and all this. This is absolutely crazy. So um, let me conclude, tie this off uh, by saying this. Jonathan's going to be in the back. He's got tickets, he's got information, he's got flyers, volunteers. We need volunteers galore if you're interested in helping out. Jonathan thinks that some of these bands actually will come. These guys are, a lot of these guys in their 20s and 30s, they're single guys, rock stars. He thought that maybe some people here would be willing to put them up at their home. I don't know why somebody, who would want to put up a 20 or 30-year-old single rock star guy in their home? I don't know, and take care of them on the weekend, but maybe somebody interested in that. Let me say this last thing. Anybody know what a PK is? PK? PK? Anybody? Nobody? Preacher's kid. So what's the rap on preacher's kids? All my life, the rap has always been that preacher's kids, boy, man, once they get to an age, they don't want to go to church ever, ever, never, ever again because they're burned down on church. They're burned by church because they've been in church all their life, and they're in a fishbowl, and it's not a good experience for them, and so they're the wild ones. Both of my kids, everybody, both of my kids love church. They're excited about coming to church on Sunday morning. That's not because of me or my wife. You know why that is? Because this is a very good experience for them. And why is it a good experience? Because of all of you. That's why I'm telling you this. You guys are like their family. You have watched them grow up. They're excited. They love church. And here's the reason he's putting this concert on. He's putting it on because he wants the whole world who would not darken the door of a church to experience what he has experienced all of his life. To be able to come into a family to experience the love and grace of God. And that is really exciting to me. So thank you for listening. Derek, you're up. So God bless you. You can see him in out there. How do you top that? I told Jonathan, first service, I'm like, dude, if you want to come up here and just preach now, you know? I mean, he's obviously, whew, man, oh, man, that's, that is awesome stuff. Um, well... Today is Palm Sunday, as we have said, and um, we are concluding our series, Full Contact Life. We're going to be talking today about how do we persevere? How do we persevere? How do we finish well in this full contact life? And our theme verse uh, is John 10.10, which Jesus says these words. He says, I have come that they may have life. That's you and me, that we may have life, but not just any life. Life to the full. Full contact living. Last week, um, John talked about winning. What does it mean to win? And he defined winning from the Bible's perspective as knowing and doing God's will for your life. Knowing and doing God's will for your life. If you didn't hear that message, it was a tremendous message. And um, one of the things that that really was helpful for me was was there's a you've got to understand there's a link between two things. Trying to understand, you know, what is God's will for my life um, is, is closely linked to the gifts and talents that God has given to you, okay? So you might be saying, I have no idea what God's will is for my life. Well, if you can discover what it is that God has created you to do, what are your greatest gifts, what are the things you're really passionate about, okay? When you can figure that out, that will help you to unlock and, and shed tremendous light on what is God's will for your life. And so um, if if you haven't yet done it, I cannot encourage you enough to sign up for our four-week God's Gifts, God's Will class 
that we're offering where we're going to help you. And for some of you, it could be a life-changing thing, as we heard uh, from Tenley, who shared her story last week. In that message, at the end of the message, um, we were talking about Elijah, and um, John talked about how God gave some very specific instructions to Elijah that were very helpful to him. And what I want to do is, uh, is take, uh, and take a closer look at, at those instructions. So we're going to look at that passage again and really hone in on that because I believe that those instructions that God gives to Elijah are instructions that you and I need to take to heart because they hold the key to finishing well. So if you have your Bible, you turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We've been going through Elijah's life. Uh, This is our last Sunday of looking at Elijah. And what I want us to be mindful of as we are looking at verses 15 through 18 in 1 Kings chapter 19 is that at this point in the story, the mighty mountain man Elijah is hiding in a cave. Okay, that is where he is. He's hiding in a cave. And it says in verse 15, the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. That was the the Syrians. And he said, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Let's pray. God, uh, we're here this morning, uh, Lord, and, and we so much want that abundant life that you talk about, Jesus. Um, as we conclude our series today, Show us um, what you told Elijah about how to finish well and help us to do the same. Show us how we can persevere and have the strength to keep going in this life. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so in this passage here, God gives two specific instructions to Elijah on how he is to finish well as a prophet. Okay, the first thing that God says right from the top is he says, Elijah, go back the way you came. Okay, now if you know anything about Elijah, you've been coming these last six weeks, what we know about Elijah is this guy is tough as nails. This guy backs down from nobody. This guy is not afraid. This guy is, is, I mean, he is the mountain man, okay? And here is the mighty Elijah, and he's kind of lost it. He's kind of freaked out, and basically he's come to a point where he's totally alone. He's run away. He's gotten this threat from Queen Jezebel right, who's this Baal-worshipping queen, and basically he, he has gone and retreated into this cave. And the cave has become like Elijah, the mighty Elijah's little security blanket, okay? And he's in this cozy little cave of comfort where he is just hiding out and kind of just avoiding all the things that have been freaking him out and worrying him. And what basically God says, God approaches him first and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's his words to God. What are you doing here? And then he says, go back the way you came. What he's saying is, get out of the cave, man. Look at yourself. Get yourself out of the cave. What's happened to you? What are you doing? So essentially what what the message to Elijah is, if he is going to finish well as this mighty prophet of Israel, he has to learn this. 
And if you want to fill this in, this is the application for you and me too. He has to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what we have to do. If we're going to live out a full contact life, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Now you might be saying, well, does God really, I mean, does God really want us to be uncomfortable? I mean, does God want us, you know, living a life where, where we're uncomfortable, we're stressed, we're anxious? I mean, is that the kind of thing that, that you know, that, that God is interested in? I mean, surely somewhere in the Bible, you know, God's got to be wanting us to be happy and comfortable and kind of stress-free, right? No. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God wants us to be comfortable. We're told very clearly that God loves us that God wants the very best for us. But God is not interested in our comfort level. You guys know what comfort food is, right? You know what's amazing? It's just the smiles on your faces. Just just even thinking, you're not even eating it, you guys, but just even thinking about comfort food puts a smile on your face. It makes you feel good, right? Right? Uh, many of you, if you haven't been coming for a while, you don't know this, but I was born in England, and uh, I'm 100% British. And, uh, and I was recently just reading that in the recent economic downturn, there has been a new comfort food in England that has surpassed the rest. And uh, it's called bangas and mash. Bangas and mash. There's bangas and mash and fish and chips and beans on toast. Delicious things. I got a picture, I think, of the bang. Doesn't that look just, mmm, doesn't that look good? Some sausages and mashed potatoes that's comfort food where i was born okay that's the beautiful stuff that puts a smile on my face how about for you what is it for you that's just your comfort food that just mm, when you're just when you're down when you're you know when you're just having a bad time that's the food you go to man you go to the freezer or you run out to kfc or you know wherever it is and you get your comfort food on you know what i'm saying all right well i don't know if we have any red meat comfort food people Anybody just love red meat? You just go to it. There we go. Okay. So for me, I, I'm a big fan of red meat. Okay. And um, I tell you, it was uh, after I'd finished, um, after I graduated from college, I was a business, business major, and I was in business consulting. And um, I got a, a great red meat story for you guys. So um, anyway, basically what happened in business consulting when I was there and still happens, I, I, I imagine, today, is that you know, you get put on these projects with these insane hours and total crazy demands, and you're completely stressed out, and you have no life for the life of the project, you know, six months, whatever it is. And, you know, along the way, maybe at the middle point and then at the end, they think that if they come in and basically take you out to a really, really nice dinner, that that kind of makes up for all these feelings of you want to kill somebody, you know, inside of you, and all this resentment and everything, and they just think that'll just smooth it on over. So we're out at, um, at the end of this one project that I was on with my project team. There may be like 15 of us, and we're at a Morton Steakhouse. And like the partner of the firm's there, and it's just, it's whatever you want, you got. You know what I'm saying? It's just like whatever you want, it's on the house. I will never forget, we're sitting at this table. And just for starters, just for sport, we had four full lobsters. Just as appetizers, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, so, and I, I, back in the day, I used to like to eat for sport. Anybody used to do that? Just, just eat for sport, just because you could, you know? Um, so anyway, I got into it with some of these guys, and, and we started, you know, talking about what we're going to have to eat. And I decided I'm going to go ahead and go for the 64-ounce porterhouse. Four pounds of red meat. So, um, anyway, so we get rolling on that, you know. Shouldn't have had those appetizers. That wasn't good. But anyway, so I get about... 40 ounces in 
to my 64-ounce steak, make a good, a good start on the steak, and I hit that wall. You know what I'm saying? You know where you hit the wall where, like, better judgment says, no, you better stop right now. You know, I'm totally, I'm totally done. So at that point, what I decide to do is I decide to get on the phone and call my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Now, I don't exactly know what I was hoping she would tell me in that moment, but I wanted to express to her that I was in the middle of the fight, and somehow I wanted her to know that it was for her. You know what I'm saying? You know, guys, what you're saying? You know, it's like, this was going to impress my lady. You know what I mean? I don't know why, where the logic was in that, but it seemed cool and manly to me, so, you know, I decided I was going to do that. And, of course, I get on the phone with her. She's like, whatever you do, stop right now. My wife's now a nurse, comes from a medical background. She's like, what are you doing? You're crazy, right? And I, I ended up stopping. I ended up stopping. Um, the next morning, and this is no joke, I'm laying in bed, and it feels like someone is pressing down on my heart. Like, that's, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Here's the point, okay? Here's the, here's the point. This comfort food, it's great, right? But it's not something we do all the time. We're not just supposed to, you know, we're not supposed to live lives where we're just consumed by thoughts and focusing on comfort food. That's not healthy, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's not how we're supposed to do it. It's the same thing, you guys, in life. Okay? It's great every now and then to go have a, have a nice vacation, totally take it easy, say, I'm just going to totally unplug. I'm just, it's going to be all about just no stress and my comfort and all that. That's great. That's not full contact life. Okay? It's something we can do every now and then, but not all the time. And listen to me. If, if your goal in life is to seek comfort, you're never going to get what Jesus is talking about in John 10.10, where he's talking about the fullness of of life. See, our goal is not to be comfortable, okay? God's goal for us is not our comfort. God's goal for us is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, and it says this, it is God's will that you should be not comfortable, you should be sanctified. And you might be like, what the heck does that word mean? I've heard that before. Sanctified, okay? Basically, to be sanctified is to be made holy. So let me just put it in terms that will be easier for you to understand. To, be, to become sanctified is to be like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. It's for us to become like the one we are called to follow. Not that we're going to get there on our own merit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit inside of us. We need God majorly to help us. But that is God's goal for us. It's not, our goal isn't comfort. God's goal for us is to be Christ-like. When we started this series six weeks ago, the very first point in the first sermon when we kicked it off, was step number one for full contact living is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Now, that's totally different from making Jesus Christ your Savior for asking for forgiveness of your sins through Christ. That's wonderful, but that's not going to get us to full contact life. Full contact life is about saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're my CEO. Whatever you say, whatever I read about as I'm reading the scriptures... Whatever I read there that you command, that you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Where you went, I'm going to try and go. How you served, I'm going to try and serve. What you did, I'm going to try and do as best that I can. Because you say so, I will. That is making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But here's the thing. When you do that, don't expect comfort. Okay? That's, that's not full contact living. When you make Jesus Christ your CEO, 
He is going to call you to do things, right, that are going to put you way outside of your comfort zone. But that's the place where we grow. That's the place where we learn. That's the place where we start to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's abundant living. So here is the deal, you guys. Okay? You have to wrap your mind around this idea that if we're going to finish well in this life, if we're going to have an abundant, full contact life, we've got to get comfortable. We've got to get okay with being uncomfortable. We have to realize that God doesn't want us in the boat. He wants us to step out of the boat. He wants us to be out of our comfort zone. And you can't just, as you're going through life, you can't just kind of be thinking, I can't wait to get back to my comfort food. I can't wait to get to my next vacation. I just can't wait to get to the weekend. Life is happening right now. And you've got to embrace it, not try and run from it. God says to Elijah, get back out there. This is life. This is living. Good, bad, and ugly. So you have to wrap your mind around, it's okay, you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Get comfortable with that fact. Second instruction. As God says to Elijah very clearly in this passage, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone, Elijah. You want to finish well? You want to be this great prophet of God? Don't do this thing by yourself. And so what God gives him in these instructions in 1 Kings 19, 15 through 18, is he basically says, Elijah, here's the deal. I'm gonna, you know, we're going to raise up a couple of kings that are going to become allies that are going to be of tremendous help as you guys are trying to get out these evil Baal-worshipping folks out of, you know, out of Israel. Okay? We're going to raise up these kings to help you do that. But then here's the big one, Elijah. You are going to raise up Elisha with an S-H, Elisha, and Elisha is going to succeed you as prophet. Now, that was a huge deal right there, okay? And you've got to understand this. That didn't just mean, okay, good, so when he's, when he's here, I'm done. I'm, I'm getting comfortable. No, 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 no. What that meant was when, when Elisha would come along, Elisha was going to come on, and to succeed Elijah as prophet, what Elisha was going to do was basically become his disciple. He was going to come alongside him and follow him. And then Elijah was just going to basically pour out, you know, all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, all of experience on Elisha. And Elisha was going to take that youthful energy, just like we heard, you know, Jonathan up here making that announcement, talking about this crazy Spring Fest thing, man. I mean, that's wild, you know. So all that just excitement and enthusiasm and energy, and, and, and that was, this, this was like a winning duel. These guys together were going to partner together, and they were going to do ministry together. They were going to do it together. And what's interesting in the story, if you read, Elisha ends up being the one who even raises up these two kings. And Elisha's overseeing this whole thing when, like, when uh, Jezebel, who was, you know, Elijah's enemy, who Elijah was running from, Elisha's the one who's overseeing that whole thing when she gets taken down. So God's basically like, look, Elijah, you, if you're going to finish this race well, you cannot do it alone. How about you? Is there an area of your life where you can really relate to Elijah? Where you feel like, man, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm really going it alone in certain areas, certain places. There's some of us who are here right now in this room, and, um, you know, we feel like we're really going it alone in terms of our spiritual journey. Because there are some of us who are here, and really we're the only one in our family, 
And the only one really among our friends or colleagues or whatever around our close circle who are really, you know, serious about trying to follow Jesus Christ. That's a really, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging place to be. And um, what I want to encourage you is, you know, you may be here and like you're fired up every Sunday. You know, this is one of the highlights of your week. You come in here and man, it's, it's super cool and you connect with God and it's awesome. But what I want to tell you is um, it's, just, it's just tough to do that if you're kind of just coming in, coming out. I mean, it's great. It's great. I don't want to discourage you from that. But what I want to encourage you to do is to not do it alone. And you can be in this room surrounded by all kinds of people and you can be completely isolated. And you know what I'm talking about. So what I want to encourage you to do is to start getting involved, start rubbing shoulders with people who are of similar faith with you. And ultimately, the power in this whole thing when it comes to your spiritual life is finding people who you can have real conversations about your faith. And what I mean by that is where you can go and you can say, here's where I'm at, here are the kind of things that I feel like God is been saying to me, maybe through different sermons or whatever, you know, here are the things I struggle with. Here are my greatest doubts. You know, here's my hopes, here's my dreams, whatever. So find a way to do that. You know, I would talk at the beginning about this God's will, God's gift class. Pretty much everything we try and do at Grace uh, in terms of like classes and things like that, we try and bring you into smaller groups to foster relationships so you can get to know people. That might be a great way that you could just start to rub some shoulders with people. If you don't know what that might look like for you, you're like, I don't know, should I get in a Bible study, whatever, fill out that connect card. I I will personally see to it that we find a way to make sure that you don't have to go this route alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10, and 12 says these words. This This is one of the wisdom books of the Bible. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I just encourage you to recognize the power of community and the fact that God wants us not doing this thing alone, but to do it in community with other people. All right, so as we mentioned at the beginning, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, actually, in our 9.30 service, we had something really cool that happened. That's when most of our kids are here for, for their hour. And um, when we sang that last song, Hosanna, uh, the kids came through and they were waving palm leaves. Uh, they came through the service, and it was, it was really cool. And it is a great reminder of here's Jesus, you know, riding into Jerusalem. And all the people, you guys, would have been so fired up. And the reason they would have been fired up is because, you see, when a king or an emperor or someone who is like really huge, super deal important, okay, when they would come into town, that's how they would enter. They would enter on, on some sort, like of a horse or something like that. And they, as they rode in, the whole town would come out to pay their respects, to honor and worship that person. Okay, so when Jesus did this, as he rode into Jerusalem, the reason everyone was so wild and crazy and throwing down their coats and and waving palm leaves and celebrating was because they recognized here was this Jesus. He was this miracle worker. He was this guy with these amazing teachings and and all these like crazy things were happening. Unbelievable stuff was happening. And he was finally declaring that he was the king. He was the coming king. And as he rode into the great city of Jerusalem where everything happened, Okay, basically they were thinking he's finally come. He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and the Roman oppressors and, and, and it's going to turn the world all upside down. Here's our Messiah who's going to deliver us in this life. And that's why it was so wild and crazy. Here's the interesting thing, you guys. 
what did Jesus know? As, as everyone was just giddy with excitement, Jesus knew this. They had been gunning for Jesus in his life. And numerous times they had been attempting to kill him in Jerusalem. And so he'd moved his ministry out of Jerusalem and was kind of touring around and, and healing and teaching and doing that sort of stuff. So when he rode into Jerusalem, what did he know he was doing? He was making his death wish. He knew that making that ride in was going to get him killed. That's pretty powerful to think about. He already knew as he rode in on that donkey, and everyone's so excited, everything. Think of the paradox. Jesus, yeah, he sees that, but he knew that he was ultimately going to be suffering and and he was going to die on that cross. Here's how this strikes me. Jesus Christ knew this. Jesus was comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's why Jesus was able to do what he did. He knew that when he came to this world, he came in the form of a servant to serve. It wasn't about his comfort or his convenience, right? It was about doing the will of his father who sent him. Jesus was okay with being uncomfortable. He was okay outside of his comfort zone because that's what he knew that he was there to do. The other interesting thing that has parallels to what we just talked about today is that Jesus also knew at least in his earthly life, 33 years, that he couldn't do it all alone either. That's why he built into those disciples, because he knew that they would carry on and advance the gospel after he returned to heaven. So what we're going to do now is we're going to celebrate communion as we kick off Holy Week this week leading up to Easter. So if you're uh, serving communion this morning, we just ask that you would go ahead and uh, get the elements and get to your stations, if you would. And what I want us to do to, to kind of tie this together is I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Um, Hebrews 12 is a, a, a tr- tremendous passage that helps us to see how we can persevere, how we can persevere. And um, it speaks to Christ's suffering and what he came to do this holy week. Here's the passage. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for your instruction to Elijah on how he could finish this life and finish it well and finish it strong. God, and how that applies so much still to us today. Lord, um, help us not to, to... to worship the idol of comfort. For that to be our goal, God, we know that your goal for us is to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Father, um, help those of us who are here feeling isolated or alone. Help us to, to figure out how we can join together with some other people. We can encourage each other in this, in this life. Lord, we celebrate what you have done. But we all have trials and struggles and, and suffering that we face. And what is so awesome about you is that we know you are the God 
who has come down and knows what it's like to live as a human being, to face the kind of things we face. You've suffered, but it was your joy. It was your joy. You were okay with being uncomfortable. Help us to wrap our minds around this idea that it's okay for us to be outside of our comfort zone. That's what it means to follow you. That's what abundant living is like. That's where we grow. God, help us, God, to not just retreat to comfort, but to run after you. As we celebrate your body being broken by the bread that we're going to eat and the the blood that you shed by the cup that we're going to drink, we just thank you for your great sacrifice and your example for us. Christ's name.